The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Welcome, friends and family, to part two of the Free Agent Micropod series here on the Fantasy NBA Today channel. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Welcome back. Part one, which I did about two hours ago, we discussed the first three... I was going to call them trades, but they're definitely not trades. First three things that happened here on Free Agency Day when... Technically, none of this stuff is uh, allowed to happen until Friday, but it's all happened, and we know how this thing goes. I have to complain before we even begin about how ridiculous it is. People need to stop making these dumb tampering jokes on Twitter. It's not funny. Tampering exists. It's going to happen the same way every year. Just stop. Get it. Get over it. Get over. Get over it. Yes, I am a glass of wine deep before part two of this thing, if you guys didn't figure that out already. I am Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You can follow me on Twitter by spelling that name. And this Fantasy NBA Today episode is a HoopBall presentation, as they all are. Hoop-ball.com, the website at HoopBallFantasy. Yes, we're pumping HoopBall Fantasy on Twitter today because we are talking deep fantasy stuff as it relates to uh, whatever's gone down so far in free agency. We will pick up here on this one where we left off on the last one, and we'll just see how far it carries us. I don't want any of these shows to go longer than about 25 or 30 minutes. We'll probably do another one first thing in the morning if I had to guess. I don't think I'm going to do a third one tonight, but we may knock out the whole week of podcasts here in the first two and a half days. Um... And you guys can space them out. I don't know. Maybe I'll do some more shows later in the week. We'll see. The news is breaking all the time. We're going to have to play it by ear just a little bit this time around. So again, on part one, we talked Alonzo Ball trade, which had some pretty far-reaching fantasy ramifications. We also talked about Will Barton uh, going back to Denver with a two-year agreement. And Daniel Tice signing in Houston. We got the terms of that deal between the two episodes of our podcast to four-year $36 million deal uh, with the Houston Rockets. I don't know if I, if I if I just said the Pelicans, I apologize. I'm, again, a little tired and, again, a glass of wine deep. But we're having some fun here, aren't we? And I do, as I mentioned on part one, I do kind of sneaky like that one. Tice is going to play. They don't have options in Houston to deal with bigger bodies. They liked moving Wood down to the four for stretches with Olenek at the five last year. And they'll do a little bit of that again because both of those guys can play interior and on the perimeter. And it's just uh, Tice, Olenek, whatever. Those guys are just sort of good fits wherever they go. And if you think he's going to get minutes, which I do, I'm inclined to say we could take a look at Tice, particularly on the Roto side. He's not going to do anything flashy. not going to run up your counting stats numbers but he's going to do a little bit of everything and that's good stuff what i would ask of all of you because i'm guessing there are going to be some first-time listeners that are like oh my god is dan a little bit buzzed on every episode the answer is no but i should be but what i would ask of all of you new listeners is please do subscribe to the show fantasy nba today 
And if you like these episodes, these micropods, drop a five-star review on the show over on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you happen to be using. The next trade that flashed across my timeline that I thought was relatively interesting was Tim Hardaway coming back to the Dallas Mavericks on a new four-year, $72 million deal, which actually isn't all that far off from what he did the first time around in New York, that everybody was like, oh my God, he's getting paid way too much money. And then by the end, they were like, oh yeah, this is about what he should probably be getting paid. His contract caught up with, or his play caught up with his contract, or his contract caught up with his play, whatever you want to talk about it on that front. The reason I bring it up, and they did... Uh, the Mavs brought in Reggie Bullock later in this chunk, which we'll get to eventually, may or may not be on today's episode, or this this iteration of the Micropod, is that Josh Richardson got traded out, Bullock comes in, but by the end of the year, Tim Hardaway Jr. had carved out a really nice role for himself on this team. He was the guy at the end of the year. And it's kind of a nice little footnote on the overall season because Hardaway was number 145 over the entire season. But he had those stretches, and Rick Carlisle does with his, this with his guys almost all the time until he finds that right blend, and then he'll stick with the right blend until it cools off. And Hardaway was a part of a lot of those blends. He was a good fit around Doncic, because he was able to space the floor, knock down some shots, and give them the scoring they needed that a lot of these other guys weren't giving. Brunson was doing some scoring off the bench, but he has so many limitations to his real game that they couldn't play him giant minutes. Josh Richardson was just flat-out bad again this year, but for a couple of weeks in the middle. And I offered a mea culpa to say, saying Josh Richardson was not good anymore. He's not good anymore. May, I mean resurfacing is always a possibility with him if he gets a larger usage role. But in, in this sort of third, fourth, whatever option on the wing, 3 and D type, no. Hardaway, on the other hand, in this... It's not so much a 3 and D role because there isn't a whole lot of D involved. But in this mostly 3-ish role, he was very, very good at the end of the year. In fact, Tim Hardaway Jr. was the Mavericks' best fantasy player over the team's last 15 games. It's pretty wild. I mean, this is like when he... Now, to be fair, a lot of that was because over the last 10, he shot 40... or Excuse me, 53% from the field. Scored 23 points a game. He had some big ones in there. He was hitting four three-pointers a night. 91% at the free throw line. He was wonderful. And he was top 30. That's not sticking. And we're not foolish enough to believe that that would. But the 30 minutes a game is a distinct possibility. 13, 14 shots a game is a distinct possibility in this very comfortable role that he carved out and got himself a new contract, and I think Luca likes him. Now, we'll wait and see on some of the other pieces. There's uh, the Kyle Lowry stuff that's still kind of floating in limbo as we speak right now. That stuff is not completely set. There's still a chance that... Uh, Goran Dragic might end up in Dallas, which would shake all of this stuff up. But right now, Tim Hardaway Jr. is the more or less unfettered starting shooting guard on that Dallas team. He should see the workload he was seeing down the stretch when they were playing their best basketball. 
and he was a top 90 fantasy player over that span, largely because his shooting was a little bit over his head. But also of note is that his uh, steals and blocks, which are never good, but those were slightly below his career markers. He's usually in the you know, 0.5, 0.6. I mean, it's really quite bad. I don't, don't want to get too much into that. But when you're talking about a guy who is normally at like 0.6 and he's 0.4 for a stretch, that's actually a relatively large difference that, uh, from a fantasy standpoint. But I don't want to, we don't want to try to make a claim that Tim Hardaway Jr. is somehow a very good defensive player. But he has averaged 0.6 in 27 minutes over his career. So the fact that he was at 0.4 this year, you do feel like that could come back up again. Positive free throw shooter. Turned himself into a better field goal percent guy this year. Maybe it's just playing around Luka Doncic, getting him wide open all the time. His two-point percentage has been better the last couple of seasons with Dallas. Probably needs to make sure he takes enough two-pointers where that's weighing into the overall number. But I like this signing for Dallas. He fit with what they were doing. And he's a relatively safe, and I'll point out, head-to-head friendly basketball player. He logged 70 out of 72 games this year, 71 out of 72 last year. I think he was at, I don't remember what the hell happened the previous year. He had some injuries. He got traded that year. Uh, 65 out of 82, so not very good. His seasons in New York were not were not stellar. Otherwise, he's actually been relatively durable. It was something about beginning of his career was durable. Then he signed that big contract, and it was almost like the weight was too heavy, and by the end of it, he was durable again. Missed three games over the last two years. As a starter playing big minutes, getting 13, 14 shots a game, he's inside the mark, and... By totals this year, Tim Hardaway Jr. was solid. He was number 92, despite all of those games where he was coming off the bench and not doing very much. Over the last 15 games of, the, of any campaign, he was inside the top 50 by totals. I mean, this guy plays. He plays. And if you're a top 90 guy who plays 71 games in this season, or 80, something like that, next year, in head-to-head, that makes you incredibly valuable. A little bit more so than Roto, where his ceiling is capped because he doesn't get defensive stats or rebound or pass. But still, that's a guy that needs to be on people's radars. They invested in him. That's good. A couple of quickies that came after that marker. Uh, Mike Conley agreed to a three-year, $68 million deal to come back to the Utah Jazz. That's, what is that, about $23 million a year? Um, That's great. Uh, Doesn't mean a whole lot to me. He's a much more roto-friendly basketball player because he's also not going to play the entire season. He was number 82 by totals, which, by the way, tells you something important because he only played in 51 out of their 72 ballgames. On a per-game basis, Conley was number 57 with overall a really nice season, 16 points, 6 assists, one and a half steals, really good free throw percent, a field goal percent that won't tank your team, but he's not going to play a whole year. It's, it's just not going to happen. He's getting older. That's where we're at now. This is a much more roto-friendly basketball player than head-to-head. I don't think I would actually draft him at all in a head-to-head league because of the injury fears, but in roto, he'll probably go relatively close 
to his overall totals rank, which was like top 75-ish, top 80. And I'm totally fine with taking him in there because he likely beats that mark on a per-game basis, or even if he doesn't, it'll be damn close to it. And getting someone in the, eh, call it the seventh, maybe early seventh round that performs near their, their number and clears out a spot in the 20-odd games he misses during a season where you can plug in your 20 Dante DiVincenzos, as we've talked about from a Roto standpoint with a games cap, that's good. That's good. So uh, head-to-head, no. Roto, yes. Jimmy Butler signed a five-year max extension. Was it four or five? Doesn't matter. With the Heat, because for fantasy purposes, this is basically a redraft podcast. And the you know that's to be expected. But if they bring in Kyle Lowry, there's one that's really the more important note on all this. Jimmy Butler was amazing this year. He's number five on a per game basis. If Lowry's in town, his numbers come down. There's just no way around it. This year was as good as it could get on a per game basis from Jimmy Butler. Twenty one and a half points, seven boards, seven assists, over two steals. Stopped dealing with the three pointer, so he shot fifty percent from the field and 86% high-volume free-throw stuff. He just won't have quite as much usage. There's no way around it. Lowry's going to get some of it. This isn't one of those things where you adjust dramatically your Kyle Lowry number, but you should adjust a little bit. Another quickie that flashed across the timeline, uh, the, the next one off the board, was that Jamichael Green had agreed to a two-year, $17 million deal to go back to the Denver Nuggets, and I don't care. So we can just flip right on past that one. And then the Knicks made, well, ultimately three splashes. Uh, I want to amend, i take a, a brief respite here from going through my timeline, to amend something from part one of the Micropod, because between the two, the Pelicans landed Devontae Graham. So we spent all that time talking about Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kira Lewis, and Devontae Graham is going to take a ton of those minutes, shots, and touches in the backcourt. I will say that it feels good on the last micropod I talked about how I didn't know or I didn't really believe that the Nikhil Alexander-Walker-Kira Lewis fantasy games would translate even given the extra opportunity, and they will get some because we talked about how, like, Four guys got out of the way, so bringing one back in is still tipping in their favor. But of those three guys, the only one we've actually seen put up fantasy value and get near that level where a starter's minutes gets them in the money is Devontae Graham. Mostly because of the threes and the assists, and I think they'll probably still be there. That's just in his nature, although... He does certainly skew more towards uh, a points league kind of guy. But we'll talk more about that one probably on the next Micropod, if I had to guess. Or it's possible that tomorrow morning we just do one that covers the rest of this stuff. Regardless, I want to talk about the New York Knicks because they made three moves or three signings. And all of them were guys that were already there. The Knicks uh, signed Alec Burks to a three-year, $30 million deal. Nerland's Noel to a three-year, $32 million deal. And Derek Rose to a three-year... I lost the number. 42? It's actually sort of inconsequential. It's just nice to, for me to get you the right number. $43 million deal with Derek Rose. 
to bring all of these guys back. So they're getting the band back together. But, as I mentioned earlier on this show, and as we'll get into when the timeline suggests, Reggie Bullock is gone from New York. And at the end of the year, he was playing most of the small forward minutes. There was a pretty big issue with the Knicks where there just sort of weren't enough minutes to go around. And that's the way that Tom Thibodeau tends to deal with things is a handful of guys play most of the time. The one thing that really jumps out among this list is that Alec Burks was only at 24 minutes down the stretch for New York and was banged up. So we're looking at a guy now who has less competition for playing time with Bullock and his 30-plus minutes. I mean, really, the last month of the year, Bullock was playing like 35 minutes a game. That's a lot back on the table. It's not a ton of shots. He was only taking 10 of them. But get Burks out there for more time, his shot per minute rate is much higher. He's a higher usage guy than Bullock. We all know what Derrick Rose is going to do. He's going to be a feature part of their offense. Down the stretch, D. Rose was a top 60 fantasy player for New York. His percentages were through the roof, and he probably won't keep that up, but he is very much inside the top 100 as a starter or at least a guy playing starter-level minutes. I know you guys thought I was going to talk about Nerland's Noel first out of this Nick stuff, and I didn't, so I fooled you. But on the Burks front, if you recall, at the very beginning of the season, before Reggie Bullock was in the mix, before Derrick Rose was in the mix, before Emmanuel Quickly was actually seeing any minutes, Burks was good. He had that nasty ankle sprain that knocked him out forever, and he never quite got back from that. And I do wonder if a healthy Burks at the beginning of the year, with Bullock out of the way, and three, four, even extra minutes of ballgame, does that push him back inside the top 100? He's a low upside guy because he's not going to play a ton. He's never going to be the you know a 32-minute, 14-shot-a-night guy for this Knicks team. But if you can get him back up into that, 27, 28 range. It doesn't have to be max Thibodeau minutes, but if you can get him up into that neighborhood, he's pushing it. Lower upside guy, though. Certainly lower upside than Derrick Rose, who has plenty on this team. And then there's Nerlens Noel, who secured himself a nice contract, figures to be more the backup to Mitchell Robinson when everything is going according to plan, and that makes me a little bit nervous because he turned himself into a monster but only when there was nothing standing in his way. He was just inching up on putting up that top 100 type of fantasy value in 18-ish minutes a game before the Mitch Robb injury. I'm very curious where Nerlens gets drafted this season if we know he's going to be a backup. Does that depress his numbers enough? Because I would still take him inside the top 100. I'm hoping he falls outside of that mix. I think Mitchell Robinson will go at a pretty a pretty good bargain rate this year because his 1.1 blocks in 25 minutes a game this season, that'll be higher going forward. It's not going to be 1.1. It'll be bigger than that. Uh, Derek Rose, I'm actually not 100% certain where he goes. In nine-category leagues, um, I'd feel pretty good about taking him inside the top 90. And Alec Burks is one of the later guys. He's a guy you look at in like the 120 to 140 range and hope that things break his direction. But a lot of really interesting stuff going down in the New York Knicks front and absolutely a team that we needed to spend a second on. 
And I think the last thing I want to talk about on this micropod before in the morning we'll just sort of go through the rest. It'll be a big one tomorrow, but we'll get through it all. Is Kelly Olynyk? There's so many little things that happen uh, later on. And oh man, I'm lying to you guys. I need to do two more on this one. Uh, Kelly Olynyk is one, and Evan Fournier is the other. Because to me, at least in the stuff that happened in the first couple hours of free agency, those are probably the two remaining most impactful signings, uh, minus guys that sort of went back to the same spot. So Kelly Olenek, Detroit, three-year, $37 million deal. Totally doesn't make any sense at all to me, because the Pistons were already, they, they unloaded Mason Plumley. it was Isaiah Stewart's time to shine, and now all of a sudden, they got a veteran backup center that's going to be pushing him for minutes. We, as humans, tend to be a little bit stubborn when it comes to situations like this. Because as I was going through these teams, and I looked at Isaiah Stewart, and Mason Pumley got traded away, It was top 50 upside, basically locked and loaded for Stewart. And now all of a sudden, there's a very real chance that he gets wedged back into a a 24-minute-a-game timeshare. And Stewart in 24 minutes wasn't quite over the cut line in fantasy. It was like right on the borderline. I mean right on the borderline. In 27 minutes a game, top 60. In 21 minutes a game... 140. In 24 minutes a game, right on the cut line. Like top 95, top 105 range. So he's still worth putting on your fantasy team precisely because there is some built-in upside in him being the young guy. There is upside in the notion that you might see Isaiah Stewart and Jeremy Grant as the starters and Kelly Olynyk come on and play alongside Stewart for stretches. So there might be two, three, four, five minutes of uh, simultaneous play when Grant is on the bench or if they slide him down to the three or something like that. But with Cade Cunningham around, there's not a whole lot of room in that uh, vicinity, um, especially when you look at the other guys that, that Detroit wants to get minutes out of. Sadiq Bey, who's basically a three. Killian Hayes, who's a giant point guard so on and so forth. They brought Corey Joseph back to be the backup point guard. Hamadou Diallo, who's a wing player. Sekou Dabuya on the wing. But we have to think of it from this perspective. Which of the guys on this Detroit team are even comfortable looking at the power forward spot? The answer is probably Grant, who is likely to play the bulk of his minutes there. Even if you suggested that he was going to play all of his minutes there. You're still talking about a guy who's going to be just a shade over 30. Call 32-ish, which leaves 16 floating power forward minutes. This is sort of a worst-case power forward situation. Could Kelly Olynyk play four power forward minutes while Isaiah Stewart played four center minutes? I'd say there's a possibility. I don't know that we can necessarily make a claim that it's going to happen. But I think there's enough reason to hope that it happens to still go in on these guys. 
Now, Olenek is not going to see a role anything remotely, remotely close to what he was doing in Houston at the end of last year. He was playing 32 minutes a game, 12 shots, 5 free throws, averaged 19 points, 9 boards, 4 assists, 2.1 defensive stats. He was a, a second rounder. That's not happening. 32 minutes and high usage altogether. But you could see a scenario where he comes in and plays 27, 28 minutes, which, by the way, not that frighteningly far off from what he was playing in Miami last year when I said, look, this guy has the fantasy game. In this number of minutes, he should actually be fantasy relevant. And yet he was sort of teetering right on the brink. Like there were games where Butler was there and it made him better. And then there were games where Butler was gone. He took more shots, but he wasn't necessarily better. He played 27 minutes a game in Miami last year, but he took only 8.7 shots per game. They were all from three-point land. He didn't shoot it well from three-point land. It was like everything was off for him in Miami last year. And then he got moved, and everything came together. The per 36s jumped back up where they were in, frankly, a lot of his previous seasons. Like, if you look at Olenek in 2017 in Miami, when he played 23 and a half minutes per game and averaged more points in fewer shots than he took in Miami this year in 27 minutes a game, that's what we should be basing our numbers on. The 1.4 steals in Houston, probably too high. That's a bit over his... Uh, watermark. I think you should look at 1.1, maybe 1.2 as a best case scenario for him. About a half a block a game, also right around where he's sat. You can probably go a little bit higher than that uh, in a, a larger minute count. Because over his career, he's, he's about 22, 23 minutes per game. So put him back in that 27-minute role, not on the heat, where he'll get basically anywhere else, where he won't get yanked for one mistake, where he won't be completely exhausted coming into this season, where he'll shoot 48% instead of 43 that he shot in Miami this year, where he'll actually get to take some two-pointers and not only threes on a young team where he's trying to guide them and keep the offense in check. I still think Kelly Olynyk has a decent year coming up under his belt. I am afraid he's going to get overdrafted because of what he did in Houston, but if you're handicapping it out, I think you're looking at about 26 to 28 minutes per ball per ball game this year and of a guy that should be in the top 80, top 90 range in that amount of playing time with less usage than Houston, but more than Miami. What I like about this, and there isn't, a mu there isn't much because this signing put Olenek in a backup role which is a huge pain in the butt because we wanted to see him starting somewhere and just going buck wild in second round territory again. That's not happening. But what I do like about this trade is that it just might tamp down the buzziness on Isaiah Stewart. I was talking on this podcast last week. When the hell did we talk about Detroit? Was it last week or the week before? Who cares? The offseason is, off is one long boat ride. We talked about Detroit and that Isaiah Stewart might be buzzy and not buzzy enough. Like, he might be that rare guy that was getting drafted in the 60s or 70s where in a full starter role, he could have been a top 40 guy. He's probably not going to be a top 40 guy anymore because he's probably not going to play 30 minutes of ballgame anymore. But the good part of this is that I think with Olenek coming to town, there's going to be maybe a little bit of a reticence to take the plunge on Stewart 
in the 60s or 70s, and he might now fall into the 80s and 90s. And as we talked about already, if you get him up to that 28-minute mark, he's a top 80 guy or better. Remember, towards the end of the season, his minutes, they escalated on like a bi-weekly basis. Over the team's last 30 games, he played 25 minutes a game, and he was right in that top 90, 95 range. 24 and a half, 25 minutes a game. Over the team's last 20 ball games, his minutes went up to 26 and a half, two more minutes per game, and now he's inside the top 75. Over their last 15 games, so we're just lopping off five games at a time, he's now playing 27 minutes a game, and he was inside the top 60. Over the last 10 games of the year, where uh, Mason Plumley was now very close to getting rested, he was playing 27 and a half minutes per game, and he was inside the top 65 again. And so you guys are starting to get this, this idea. And there's fluctuations because over the last five games of the year, he shot 42%, magic of small sample size. Here's what you guys need to know from this. By the way, over that stretch, he played 28 and a half minutes per game. If he's going to play 28 minutes per game, he's not going to shoot 42%. You can adjust that up into the 50-some-odd range, somewhere between 50 and 60. In 28 minutes a game, he blocked two shots a night. That's pretty remarkable. That's a big-time number that you can't find very many places in fantasy, and he did it basically for two months straight when he was getting 26 or more minutes per game. I think he gets to that mark. I think you're looking at a guy who sits inside the top 75, even with Olenek as his backup. And I think you're looking at both centers having pretty good fantasy seasons. There's a fear for me on Kelly Olenek resting down the stretch, which makes him more roto-friendly than head-to-head. Stewart's not resting. He's going full banana uh, all the way through the year, just like he did this season. He could be a massive head-to-head get, or even his per-game numbers are even close to his ADP, by totals, he probably blows them away. And I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good last move to finish our micropods here on Monday. Tomorrow, depending on how many things happen overnight, we'll either do another pair of micropods on Tuesday or one big one, and we'll probably lop one show off at the end of the week. So I'm going to do five shows this week. I don't think I'm going to do six or seven. It's the off season, guys. You got to give me a respite here. Uh, but tomorrow there's a whole bunch of minimum deals that took place, fringe guys that re-signed with teams, guys that went back to their old teams, so on and so forth. And I can't wait to talk at ridiculous length on tomorrow's podcast about Rishon Holmes. And I told you I was going to talk about Evan Fournier on today's show and ended up talking a really long time about Stewart and Olenek. So tomorrow our first show will be highlighted by Evan Fournier and Rishon Holmes, and I'm hoping we can get through all the remaining stuff in uh, just one show on Tuesday. Thank you for listening to both of our Monday free agency micropods. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great evening. Get you in the morning. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.